Exodus 19. Um, as I was kind of thinking through this week leading into today, and uh, one of the things I began to think about was just, I, I don't know if you ever had those moments in life where like, whether you realized it like in the moment or not, or you just kind of look back on it and realized it, um, but those moments that what I would call just a sacred moment, like where it just felt like uh, and the, the presence of God was just nearer, right? Like um, I think, uh, I, I thought of just a couple of ideas from my own life. Um, I can take you back to the moment that uh, my mom led me to the Lord in the living room. Of Actually, it's, I don't know if it's a living room. It was a living room you're not allowed to actually go in. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, the formal living room. Uh, for whatever reason, ours had pink carpet and a white floral couch. Maybe that's why we weren't allowed in it. Um, but I can take you back to that place, that couch, uh, where my mom opened the Bible, led me in, uh, just led me through the, the Word to show me, here's how you become a Christian. This is, this is how you become a follower of Jesus. Right? And I prayed to receive Christ in that moment. And there were tears and snot and all that stuff. Um, but then fast forward, that would have been like around the summer of 97, best I can remember. Um, fast forward to the summer of mm, 2009. Uh, and, and I can think back to this. Uh, I was on the campus of a, a small college in Virginia. Uh, I had really made an effort to try and just do whatever I wanted to do with my life. Um, I, coming out of a season of rebellion, and I can, I can take you to a golf cart, sitting outside of a chapel service, uh, speaking with one of my spiritual mentors at the time, and it was in that place that I began to think that um, God could still use me to do something, and that he actually might still want to. I never had a moment where I surrendered to ministry or walked an aisle and filled out a card. Like I never had that, but I just go back to that moment on a golf cart where I was like, I just want to do what you want me to do, Lord. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm willing. Um, or another one that comes to mind, this is not as individual, a little more corporate. Uh, I was uh, in seminary at Liberty University. Um, I, I know Liberty gets a bad rap if you Google much about it these days, but there were some and some, some good, good, godly people there. And um, I remember going to, a, uh, I guess it would be a student church service, for, for lack of a better term, or a worship service. And so we're there in the Vine Center. It's where the, uh, the, the school or the teams played basketball. Five, six, seven thousand college-age students just singing songs of worship. And uh, as they, we got to the end of the night, the worship band is leading us in a song, and it's kind of getting more mellow, and they're, they're doing the thing like most modern worship songs where it gets real big, and then it just comes down quiet again, right? And then what happened, uh, I, I don't know if it was planned or if it just happened or what, but the, as the music mellowed, the, the other instruments, uh, kind of the supporting instruments, they just kind of stopped playing. And, and one by one walked off the stage to the point where there was just the guy leading from the piano, and he's singing, and he's leading us in, in this chorus. It's just repeating. He steps away from the piano. People keep singing. He walks off the stage, 
and everyone keeps singing. I mean, it was like one of the most powerful moments I've ever experienced. And I bring all those up because in Exodus 19, what we have this morning is one of these, what I would call a sacred moment. Israel's about to have a a sacred moment of their own. One they're going to look back on time and time and time again throughout uh, the course of, of, of their history as God's people. And what I've prayed for and pleaded for all week is that uh, this moment for us this morning would be one of those moments. Right? So that, that one day you might look back on what happens here this morning and say, that was a sacred moment for me. The Lord met me there on August the 28th, 2022 in a, a powerful way. That's what I've asked for. That's what I've pleaded for this week. Uh, that's what I'm expecting. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 19, where we're going to be, I'm going to read verses 9 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on, the mount, on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So to kind of set it in context, what's happened here, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we've been following the people of Israel out of Egypt, kind of their early days in the, uh, the journey through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Right? They would spend a long time in the wilderness, right? 40 years. So we've just kind of looked at some of the early days of their journey. And so we've we followed them uh, to Mara, where the bitter water was turned sweet. Right? We followed them to uh, the, the wilderness of sin where God provided manna to sustain them in their, in their journey through the wilderness. Right? Last week we were at uh, Masa and Meribah where there was quarreling and testing. Even the people of Israel tested the Lord. 
And, and this morning finds us, uh, they, they pack up and they leave where they were and they go deeper into the wilderness, into uh, the, the wilderness of Sinai, this area that kind of surrounds what we refer to as Mount Sinai. All right, and, and so the early verses of chapter 19, Moses begins uh, making s- several trips up and down the mountain to, to talk with God. He's going to bring a message back for the people. Right? Moses is going to get his steps in right, over the next couple chapters of, of Exodus. And so God tells Moses in one of those trips to remind people of his faithfulness, of his deliverance, uh, of uh, his covenant relationship with the people of Israel. And he says that, remind them that as long as they keep my covenants, they, they obey my word, then, then they will be for me a, a treasured possession, a people um, or a kingdom of priests, a, a holy nation. Right? That's, that's the people of Israel. And so Moses delivers this message to the people. They respond by uh, committing themselves in obedience to the Lord. Saying what, what God says, we will obey. Right? And so that's where we, we pick up this, this morning in verse 9. And kind of the, the central theme from what we just read, I got one central theme that we're just going to sort of explore over the next few minutes together. It's, it's this idea of consecration and preparation. Right? Consecration and preparation. And so let me, let me define that for a minute to kind of, I know you saw it on the screens earlier and we, we've talked about it a little bit already, but to be consecrated or, or consecration is to be set, it's basically I mean to be set apart. Right? It's, uh, in, in this context, it's for the people of Israel to be purified, right? to be cleansed, to be, uh, to be holy. Right? Be, and the reason, be, because of this consecration, the reason for this consecration is because God is a holy God and he's about to show himself. He's about to invite the people of Israel into his presence in a way that they've never been to this point. Yes, God has been with them. He's led them, the cloud and the fire, but, but God's going to show up in a powerful way. But before he's going to do that, he says, you must be consecrated. Right? Because consecration, holiness, purity is a prerequisite to entering into the presence of a holy God. Right? He, God is, is highlighting his, his holiness here. And so he tells the people to, to be consecrated. He says this in verse 10. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. And then in verse 14, they, that's what they do, right? Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. All right, now listen. What's happening here is the people are, are actually physically going. They're taking their garments. They've been wandering around in the wilderness. Uh, they're probably disgusting at this point, right? And so, uh, yes, they are physically going, washing their garments to present themselves clean before the Lord. But, but I would submit to you that here's what's going on. is This is a, a physical representation of an internal condition. Yes, he tells them to wash their garments, but, but that is an, is an external symbol of, a, of an internal purity, right? an, an internal reality. It's, it's similar to, not exactly, but similar to the idea of baptism. 
Right? We believe that, that baptism is a symbol. It is a way of identifying yourself with Jesus. It's symbolic of, it's a, it's a physical, tangible representation of, a, of an internal, spiritual, spiritually significant event. Right? And so this is what God calls the people of Israel to consecrate yourselves. And, and, and in this context, it's go wash your garments, clean yourself to present yourself to a, a holy, righteous, almighty God. But I want to, let's, let's get this out of 21st century. Let's go back to where we're at. We're in the wilderness. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know one of the things that uh, the people of Israel have lacked is water. Right? They've cried out for thirst. I don't know if you know this or not, washing clothes, not easy without water. Right? And so the reason I highlight that is because this is not an insignificant task. Right? The scholars say there's, there's estimates about how many people of Israel there were at this time. I think the low number is around 700,000 or so. Some of the higher estimates are 3 and 4 million people. Right? A lot of people. This is not just like a small clan. And these people are called up out of Egypt into the wilderness, and then they get to the wilderness. They're told to consecrate themselves Wash your garments. By the way, not a lot of water here. So the reason I bring that up is because for them, consecration required some intentionality. Right? There was some, some effort put into it. Right? It took some patience. And listen, that's still the case today. Right, like we're called to be a consecrated people. We're called to be a holy people, a, a pure people before the Lord. And listen, that takes intentionality. And let me say it this way. None of us drift towards holiness. None of us. Like there is not a person in this room that the default position of your heart is, I'm just going to pursue the things of the Lord all the time. Came out of the womb, Right? Following Jesus. No, you didn't. <laughs> right? the, the pursuit of holiness, the, the pursuit of consecration is like it requires intentionality. No one drifts that way. Right? It's like a, uh, a car. I don't know if you've ever driven a car that has alignment issues. And you drive it down the road and you're just like, why am I turning this thing like 45 degrees just to go straight? Right? That's the condition of our hearts. Like we... You, Hands off the wheel, like, like we're drifting in the guardrail every time, right? Because the default position of the human heart is, is one of sin. And so um, holiness requires intentionality. Consecration requires intentionality. We all have sinful bents and compulsions that, that man, left to ourselves, we make a wreck of our lives. And maybe you're like, gosh, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of mine. I don't know what it is. Yours is pride and arrogance. There, I just helped you out. Okay, because we all are bent in that way, right? All of us, right? Consecration requires intentionality, requires effort, requires persistence, requires right endurance, patience. It doesn't come naturally to us, right? Which means something we've got to prepare for. Right, we see this in the text too. 
He says this in uh, verse 10 11. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. And he, he jumps down to verse 14 and 15, right? The Moses went down, told the people to consecrate themselves. They washed their garments. Verse 15, and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Right? This is language of preparation, right? And he has a little clause, do not go near a woman. Okay? That's not because women are evil. Okay? It's not what he's saying here. Right? In, in context, this is a, I want you to abstain from physical pleasures. What he's talking about here? Sex, right? Now listen, not because it's evil. It was God's idea, right? right? Genesis 2, first recorded words to man, be fruitful and multiply. So the point is not that that's evil, but the point is there are times in your consecration, in your pursuit of holiness, that are going to require us to to lay aside temporary physical pleasures in pursuit of ultimate spiritual pleasures. Right? That's the heart of what's going on here. Right? It's, it's tempor- temporarily abstaining from sort of the, the things that sort of bring temporary satisfaction in order that we might pursue the one that brings ultimate satisfaction. Right? It's saying, like, God, I'm going to lay these things aside. Good things. Gifts from you, but I'm going to lay them aside that I might pursue you more passionately, more intentionally. Right? And this could be any number of things. Right? We see this all throughout the scripture. You, you've heard about fasting and prayer. Right? Fasting is just giving something up. Usually in the Bible, it's food. It's saying, I'm going to give up this physical pleasure because, God, I want you more than I want this thing. Right? And so this is what... This is what God is calling the people of Israel to here. It's to, to remove anything that might distract or hinder them from encountering the living God in a, in a powerful way. Right? You see it all throughout the Bible. The, the kings of Israel, when there was this, they needed God to act, move, do something, they would call all of the nation to, to fast and pray. Right? In, in the book of Daniel, right? Daniel has a significant need. He's, he's in captivity, right? And he spends, uh, he, he basically devotes himself to fasting and praying that the Lord might work in a powerful way. Nehemiah, right, returns to the city of Jerusalem, finds it's destroyed after the exile, and his heart's burdened. He wants to see God do something in this place, and so first thing he does is he fasts and he prays. Right, it's, it's giving up some physical pleasure and say, God, we, we want you more. I want to experience you more. I want to be satisfied by you more. Now, God requires the consecration and the preparation of his people. But that kind of brings us to to why. And we, we hinted at this earlier, right? Because God is a holy God. Like he is a transcendent God. He is other than. He is high above. Right? He is like on a just different playing field, right? And so God requires the consecration of his people, the, the holiness of his people, 
requires the, the purity of his people because he is holy, which means God hates, detests sin. Right? God hates sin. And a sinful people cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And maybe like, what about what, uh, God is love? What, what do you mean? God is love. Right? That, that is who he is. And because God is love and he loves his people, he hates the thing that separates him from his people. He hates sin. And so he requires the consecration of his people. Right? Sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. This, we see this all the way back in Genesis 3. Right? Adam and Eve show up. They believe the lies of the, of the serpent, the enemy. They take and eat the fruit. They disobey, rebel against their creator. And what's, what's the, the consequence? They're driven out of the garden. They're driven out of God's presence. Right? Because, because sin cannot exist in the same space as a holy God. Right? This is why uh, in the book of Revelation, when you go to the other end of the Bible, right? heaven, eternity is promised as a place where there's no more sin. Right? There's no more suffering. All the effects of sin are gone because sin cannot exist in the same place as a holy God. But even, even beyond that, to kind of highlight God's holiness, to highlight his transcendence, to highlight his, his otherness, right? he even sets boundaries. Right? Not only does he call them to be consecrated, but he also sets some, some limitations and boundaries for his people. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, And, and you shall set limits, talk, God talking to Moses, you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. And whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up on the mountain. Right? God sets limits and boundaries for his people. Again, just, just another representation of God's transcendence and holiness, his, his otherness from, from his people. There's, there's limits and boundaries in place to, to highlight who he is. Right, and and this, is, right, this is not a totally a foreign concept to us. Right, maybe in this context we're like, okay, that seems interesting. But think about, think about this in your life. The, the, the people that are sort of on your, who you would call your peers, right, you enter into their presence a little bit differently than you do um, people of higher authority. Right? Like I, I think of, um, we had a guy that uh, when I was in college, he, he, didn't, he didn't live with us, but he did live with us. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't pay rent or utilities, but he was always on our couch. Like I'm fairly confident he had his own key. I don't remember. It's been a while ago. But like, it was not uncommon for me to come home for class and, and Alan's asleep. I just said his name. Hope it, well, he's not listening. What, what do I care? Uh, <laughs> it's not uncommon for me to, to come home from class and he's just like hanging out in the living room. Like, dude, how did you get here? 
It's like, I've been here for hours, man. Right? There's like a casualness with that. Right? Still to this day, when I go to my parents' house, I don't go to the front door. I go over to the garage if it's closed, and I type in the number code, and I just waltz right in. Because right? we enter into the presence of people that, that we know or that we're, we're close with or that are on our level a little differently. Right? Now, on the flip side of that, think about, uh, let me tell you where you wouldn't just walk in unannounced. The White House. Right? I, I don't know if you've ever been to Washington, D.C. or not. True story. Like if you, like there, I think it's on Pennsylvania Avenue. I, I don't know. What, whatever street that is. I don't know if I was looking at the front or back of the house. It all looks the same to me. But like if you step off the sidewalk the wrong way, like you almost get tased. I'm not kidding. Right? Because there's a, there's a power and authority there. that Like you, you don't get to just sort of like casually burst in, Right? And that's kind of what we see here with God. Right? If, we, if there's a, a difference in authority between us and, and just another mere man, think about the difference that exists between us and the eternal, sovereign, holy creator and sustainer of the universe. And so there's, there's limitations in place. Right? And then we see his power on display in verses 16 through 19. Let me, let me read this again. I want you to, to listen to it or read along with me and listen to how God is described or this encounter with God is described. It says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. You think about this moment, this sacred moment where the people of Israel kind of come into close proximity with their God and it's thunder and it's lightning and there's fire and there's trembling. God speaks and the voice is thunder. And maybe you're like, that sounds terrifying. You would be right. Right, that is terrifying. I think if, if we can be honest, I, I think sort of the, the fear of the Lord is something that is kind of lost in our day. Right? We, we live in this sort of age where uh, we don't like authority. Right? We don't like someone that tells us what to do or someone who... Right? And so we, we, we reject that. The fear of God is, is too easily lost on us. We try and domesticate God and sort of recreate Him in our own image. But if anything, these voices, or these voices, these verses highlight the, the power and the strength and the might of God. And He is not a God to be trifled with. He is holy. He is 
all-powerful, almighty. He is transcendent. There's a reason that that one of the common themes in Scripture is is the fear of the Lord. When Solomon's talking about, here's what it means to live wisely, where does he begin? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the the reason that the author of Hebrews says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Because God is powerful. He is holy. He is transcendent. And we are none of those things. So, so what happens. God reveals himself to a consecrated people. Right? He, he reveals his power, his uh, his transcendence, his holiness. Uh, and then what happens next is he calls Moses up to the mountain. That's what we read in, in verse 20. And so Moses goes on up. Right, now, that's got to be intimidating, right? right? Everything we just read about smoke and lightning and fire and trembling, and then God calls out to Moses and he's like, come on up. Right, I don't know if you've ever been called to the principal's office. I have. More than once. Right, this would be that to the nth degree, right? So imagine some fear and trembling in, in Moses. And actually, that's where we're going to pick up the story next week right, in Exodus 20. So I hope you come back for that. But here's what I want to do. Where, where does this leave us today? We talked about a holy God, a transcendent God, a powerful God, a God to be feared and revered. We've talked about the consecration and preparation that God requires of his people before they enter into close proximity to him. So like, what, what does that mean for us? All right, 21st century, thousands of years later, like, like what does that mean for us today? And I would say that it just means the same thing it did for them. God still requires a consecrated and prepared people to enter into his presence. All right, there's, a, there's a reason that the Bible says when he calls to the people of God, he says, be holy as I am holy. All right, that's an expectation for the people of God that we would be holy as he is holy. But, but what does that mean practically? Like, what do you do with that? All right, and so here's, I kind of got two points for you. Uh, the, the first one is this. We are consecrated, we are made pure, we are set apart primarily through faith in Jesus Christ. We are consecrated through faith in Jesus Christ. And so rather than you taking my word for it, let's, let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay? Here's what Paul writes in Verses 9 and 10. He says, or, or do you not know that the unrighteous, right, the, the unpure, the, the unconsecrated, the, the unholy, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now, I don't know about you, but in, in various phases of my life, like I can find myself on that list. Anybody else? Maybe I'm the only one. Okay. I can find, my, I can find myself on that list a couple of times. When I look back over, over the, the course of my life, right, and I, I can see like, nope, that was me. That was me. Right? And, and if that's where it ended, well, that's depressing. Because well, I mean, what I just read says I'm not, I can't inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not allowed into God's presence. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But look at this. You were sanctified. I'm sorry, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, what I said earlier, none of us are holy by default. Right, from, from the second that we enter into this world, like, none of us are holy. We've all got sinful bents and compulsions and, and desires that, that left to ourselves would drive us away from the things of the Lord. And so how do, an, how do an unholy people become all of a sudden consecrated? Is it by effort? Is it by trying harder? Is it by being better? No, according to this, it's, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Israel washed their garments as an external representation of what uh, was required of them on the inside. It's, it's through faith in Christ that you and I are consecrated. We're washed. We're cleansed. We're made pure. Right? This is not about you getting your act together. This is not about you cleaning yourself up. In fact, if you, here's one of the things that I think is really interesting. Right? If you go back to Exodus 19, when God tells the people to be consecrated, Look at verse 10. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them. In other words, he calls the people to be consecrated, but he tells Moses, Hey, you consecrate them. Again in verse 14, Moses went down from the mountain and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. Like It, it reads as if the people are... are like they're passive in this. And so, so it is for you and me. Like we don't make ourselves holy. We don't clean ourselves up. Right? You don't make yourselves presentable to God, and then God's like, all right, fine, get on in here. That's not the gospel. That's not how this works. Through faith in Christ. When you throw yourself wholly and fully on the grace and mercy that's offered to you in Jesus Christ. Then you're called holy. Then you're washed. Then you're cleansed. Then you're sanctified. Right? It's received. Right? Holiness, consecration is primarily received, not achieved. Right? It's primarily received, not achieved. But, so then what do we do? Right? Is there some effort required of us? Is there... Like, what do we do then? All right, and so here's, here's my 
second point. So the first one is we are consecrated through faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the second one. We continue in consecration by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look back at that verse in 1 Corinthians 6.11. He says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Consecration may be received through faith in Christ, but it doesn't mean that we just do nothing. Right? It doesn't mean that we just kind of sit back uh, and, and kind of watch it all play out. Like, we've, okay, I've got my get-out-of-hell-free card. There's really nothing else required of me. Right? That's, that's not how it works. We, we continue in the consecration that, that is already ours by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is it's as the Holy Spirit prompts us and convicts us of sin and unrighteousness, and impurity that we confess and we repent and we continue in this consecration that is ours. Right, the, and listen, that, that confession and repentance, that is an ongoing, lifelong process for the child of God. Right, doesn't, I think sometimes we think of confession as repentance as like, that's what I've got to do to get in the door. And then after that, I'm good. Right? And in a sense, you, you're in the door. You, you are good. But if, if you get it, and if you understand the consecration that is yours, I mean, there's, there's desires to live in holiness. Right? If you are a follower of Jesus, there should be a desire within you to grow in the things of the Lord. There should be a desire in you to to put sin to death. There should be a desire in you to pursue Jesus. If there's none of those desires in you, you just shouldn't be confident calling yourself a Christian. But what I'm saying is, is it's through the Holy Spirit, through His work, His promptings, His conviction, that we continue in the consecration that, that is already ours through Jesus Christ. And so the rest of your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, the rest of your life is going to be the Holy Spirit just saying like, hey, that's an issue. Confess and repent. Hey, that's an issue. Confess and repent. Hey, that's an issue. Confess and repent. Right? This is the ongoing ethic of the Christian life. And so here's what I want to do this morning. As we close, I just want to give you some prompts, right? some, some things I think flow out of what we've talked about today. And I just want to trust that the Holy Spirit would, would meet you where you are, that you might respond as he would have you to respond. Right? And the, the first one is, is this. Maybe you need to receive consecration this morning by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Maybe you're here and you, you're not a Christian. Or maybe... If you look at what we just said, and you're like, oh my goodness, I, don't, I thought I was a Christian, but I don't, I've never really had any desires for holiness. I've never really had any desires to, to grow in my knowledge of the Lord. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe you've got questions. All right, maybe your prompt this morning is to receive consecration, receive holiness that God requires to receive it by putting 
your faith in Jesus Christ. Right, for, for some of you, maybe, maybe this morning means you just need to rest in the consecration that is yours. What I mean by that is maybe your idea, you are a follower of Jesus, but, but for whatever reason, whether it's your family of origin or just your history or background, like your idea of Christianity is, I've got to just keep being better. I've just got to keep being better. I've got to white knuckle it. I've got to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I've got to tip the scales in my favor so that, so that God will look at me and be pleased and happy. I've got to outweigh the, the bad with, with enough good. That's not Christianity. And so maybe for you this morning, like you just need to rest in what God says is true about you. That if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are consecrated. You are sanctified. You have been cleansed. And so you work out of that identity, not for that identity. And then for, for many of us in here, here's what I think are the prompts for us. We need to continue in the consecration that is ours by following the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so just, just a few ideas. Maybe there's sin in your life, in your heart, that needs to be confessed and repented of. Right, things that, I mean, you just, just never told anybody. Things that, that you've never really put to death. Right, compulsions, addictions. Maybe this morning your response to the Holy Spirit your response to his conviction is, is to say, this is an area of my life that I've got to lay down before you and, and, and I've got to put this to death. Right? Maybe it's, maybe for you this morning, it's just being more intentional in your pursuit of the things of the Lord. Right? Maybe you just kind of look at where you are right now and you're like, I, I'm just apathetic. I'm just complacent. You've just kind of been on, on spiritual cruise control, if you know what I'm saying. You're sort of asleep at the wheel. You just sort of come to church on Sundays because that's what you do, but, but Monday through Saturday, like there's just little to no desire, commune, communion with, with the God of the Bible. So maybe for you, continuing in consecration just means a more intentional pursuit of of holiness. Another one, I won't do much here. You're going to hear more about this in a minute, but, but maybe for you it's growing in holiness. Growing in consecration means surrounding yourself with a community of people to help you on the journey. Here's the deal. Consecration, holiness, is a group project. Like, no one was ever meant to live the Christian life just in isolation. Right? And so, so maybe go back to the front. Maybe you've got sinful bents, compulsions. Maybe there's addictions and desires. And you're like, I've got to put this to death. You know where a great place to do that is? It sounds terrifying. In community with other people. So maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you just need to say like, okay, I need to surround myself with people that will encourage me, help me, support me. Right, build me up. Hold me accountable. Right, community. Right, 
And then maybe, and this, this was one that kind of resonated with me this week as I was thinking through this, maybe it just means you need to, you need to remove some distractions, some temporary distractions that you might give your attention all the more to the things of the Lord. Right, let's be honest. There are. It's easy to, to go through a week and not be able to, to count the time that you read the Bible and prayed for more than 10, 15 minutes. Uh, and, and yet you can tell me all about the Netflix show you binged. Right? Or you can, you can tell me about all the, the trends on social media or all the articles that are scrolled around Facebook, right? So, so maybe for you, growing in holiness, consecration, setting yourself apart, giving yourself all the more to the things of the Lord, is just, I need to remove some things to, to spend more intentional time in prayer, more time in fasting, more time in asking God to satisfy the deepest desires of my soul that I often look to temporary things to bring satisfaction. So I, I don't know what response looks like for you this morning. And we're all in different places, different seasons of life, different kind of different phases of our spiritual journey. So I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you this morning, but here's what I do believe is that if part of consecration means uh, following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, then, then we're just going to ask Him to reveal those things to us and trust that He will. And then we'll respond. So I ask you to bow your heads, if you would. I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to ask the Spirit to, to convict us, to move us to where He wants us to be. And then after that, the band's going to lead us in a song. And if, if, you, want to, if you want someone to pray with, I'll be down front. If you've got a need, right, we would love to pray with you. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you and um, Lord, above all, we are grateful that you, as a holy God, a transcendent God, a, a almighty, sovereign, all-knowing, all-sufficient God, that you in love have moved towards us. I'm grateful that, that you didn't lower your standards, but you sent us the very best. You sent Jesus so that through him we might be made clean. We might be made pure. We might be consecrated. And that through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, you invite us into your presence. I'm grateful for that this morning, Lord. And I just want to ask that you would, you would convict and prompt us as you would have us to respond. Lord, first, help us to see that conviction is a gift. It's a gift. It's, it's conviction that is your spirit leading us into what you want for us that is better than what we want for us. And so I pray that in this moment this morning that you would convict us of how we might respond. Father, maybe there's some here this morning that have never placed their faith and trust in you as Savior. I pray that you would convict them of that. But maybe there's some this morning that, that their view of the Christian life has just been, 
I need to be better and do more and try harder and then God will love me. And if that's their view, I pray that you would correct their view this morning. I pray that you would help them to live out of an identity that is already theirs in Christ. For many here this morning, Lord, there's sin. There's sin that needs to be confessed of, repented of, dealt with, put to death. And I pray that you would convict in that capacity this morning. Lord, for some, it's, it's apathy. It's complacency. It's what's the bare minimum I can do to, to still look like a follower of Jesus. If that's the case for some of these brothers and sisters, I pray that you would convict them of that. Lord, for some, for some this morning, it's, it's a need to, to step out of isolation, out of the darkness, and into the light in community. Some of these men and women need to surround themselves with other men and women created, designed to, to encourage and support and help them. Lord, Lord, guard us against the lies of the enemy that might say, we got to do this by ourselves. We can't. And then, Father, I pray for, um, Lord, many of us in this, this room that, and we just need to give more of our time and attention and, and focus on, on you and our pursuit of you. We've let other things, but good things, but, but other things distract us from what you want for us. So Lord, I, I pray that you might move us to be a people who, who fast and pray and desire you above everything else that this world has to offer. And so, Father, I pray and trust that you would move this morning or that you might begin a work here in this morning that continues in the, the days, weeks, months, even years ahead. I pray that we might look back on this morning, both as individuals and as a church. We might look back on this morning as a sacred moment where you began a work in us. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.